0: I, I definitely feel that isolation. Talent is equally distributed, but opportunity is not. She
1: told me that I should change my career. We're
0: Girl. only doing science to take care of our community. You
1: need to feel 100% prepared for sharing your knowledge. Um, there's never been a road that someone has shown me. If no one do it, it's okay if you want to do it.
0: Well, I had a 2.5 GPA. How do I overcome this? First have a great was the class. Below. The higher education is for them. It will empower them. They will have
2: a Present time. myself
1: in a way that so feel that
0: people would be able to really acknowledge who I am, and like...
1: We need to retain them. Be you, you know, like stop trying to mold yourself to fit. It's not
2: just about the science, it's about how we vote, you know, how we treat people who are different to us. You know, how we try to get the best out of people, those things are really... When I graduate from our program, I will be the first African-American male
0: to ever have managed and graduated as a surgeon at this institution, as a general surgeon which in 2021 just seems ridiculous to me. What's up, y'all? It's your host, JP Flores, and welcome to From Where Does It Stem?
2: My name is George Skander. I'm a physics PhD student at the University of Chicago, just finished my first year, and I'm officially a PhD candidate. I got candidacy this year, so I still have to take classes, but I don't know, at least I can go by the title, which is nice. You know, no surprise, I also did my undergrad in physics at Yale, and I graduated last year, so 2020. Fun fact about me, I'm from New Jersey, um, I'm always talking about it, <laughs> because it's a great state, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I like physics. I like math. I've always been interested in it from a young age. You know, I guess for me, it was always a question of which field in particular, because all of them sound interesting. At times, I was interested in chemistry, um, engineering, electrical engineering, applied math, math, and then I eventually settled on physics. And I guess I can discuss the reasons for that later, but I'm happy where I am because I really enjoy it. I guess one other fun fact about me is I'm an amateur photographer, like far from really Far from being great, but it's a fun thing I like to do in my free
0: time. very cool. Uh, we're excited to get to know you a little more. On this episode, we are bringing on our first co-host. So Sarah Joy, uh, do you want to introduce yourself real quick as well?
1: Sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm Sarah Joy Salib. Um, I went to Occidental College. Um, just graduated with a degree in cognitive science with an emphasis in neurology, and I'm pre-med. But I have a couple more classes to take, so I'm going to finish those up before I take the MCAT and apply to med school. And I guess, fun fact um, I spend basically all of my time in the pool, so <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> D3 water polo player, she's a photographer and she can sing, does it all? And
1: like dive, a- oh. dive. Yeah, yeah. My- sorry, sorry, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> water polo is <laughs> yeah. <was> one year, <laughs> that's
0: my bad, that's my bad, yeah, <laughs> yeah. but, anyways, George, so. Uh, would you mind painting a picture of who you are, how were you raised, what your upbringings were like? Just give us a little background on who we're talking to here as far as, you know, um, at home and, and just growing up in, in Jersey and spending your time at Yale.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, so I
0: guess it all starts with my parents. I come from an Egyptian household, more
2: specifically Catholic Christian household, and my parents Immigrated from Egypt to America, both at different times, but they eventually had me. I grew up with them pretty much all my life. We always lived in Jersey. We moved like a couple of times, but it was always in like the same neighborhood of New Jersey. I guess I could say it's like the center of the Egyptian diaspora in America. Like there's a lot of Egyptian people there, specifically Coptic, Coptic Christians as well. I grew up around a lot of Egyptians in my life, I mean it was very commonplace. I, I guess just to paint a picture of like what I mean, I mean there's like at least several churches, interest groups outside of churches, there's like dedicated Egyptian groceries, dedicated Egyptian stores, etc. But all in all, it's a very diverse area, I think there was a study that, that was done a couple of years ago, or like some report that was published, and it said it's like one of the most diverse areas in America. So that is to say, for all the Egyptian people there are, there's like people of every ethnicity you can imagine living in your city which makes it like a very vibrant place and I enjoyed living there my entire life um it was a great place but in case I don't think I'm I'm speaking too much about my parents or how I was raised so let me get back to that but um yeah I guess my parents always encouraged me from a young age to study to be educated to be into science I think my parents were pushing me to be like one of those like big it was like this this meme about like how in ethnic communities pe- people always want you to be like a lawyer, engineer, or doctor, or whatever. And I think my parents were sort of gunning for me to be something like that. I grew up first gen, low income, we did fine, but we weren't like crazy rich or anything. So I think my parents always pushed me to be educated because they were like, work hard now, play later. Like work hard for like the first 20 or 30 years of your life and then you post for the rest of it. An attitude my dad really, really, really hammered into me from day one. I remember being in kindergarten and my dad would always talk to me about, like George, you gotta go to college. If college is how you're going to make an income. It's how you're going to make a living. You buy a house, et cetera, et cetera. So I feel like now that I like, graduated college, I sort of am like, man, what do I do with my life? Because you know, from a young age, I was always thinking about like, going to college, going to college. And that was like, the milestone of my life that I always looked forward to. I'm really glad that they encouraged me. They always took me to the library to get books and stuff. Um, that's how I got into science. I was always reading those picture books about universe, galaxies, all that sort of stuff. And that was always so exciting, reading about like, oh my gosh. You know, this was early 2000s, so you're like, oh my God, is there like a planet X? (laughs) You know, the solar system, like, is there another new planet? Stuff like that. I don't think there is, but it was just exciting to read about all the uncertainty and what else there is to learn about the universe, right, that we don't know. I think I see it now when I talk to kids, like that same excitement I had, they had in the exact same way. Because for me as a kid, I love learning about all that stuff. Yeah, it's just mysterious, black holes and stuff. And <laughs> every time I talk to kids, I do this thing called Skype for a Scientist. I swear, every time I go, the number one thing they want to learn about black holes, black holes, the universe, the big picture, the sky, all that sort of stuff, because it's just so freaking cool to learn about our place in the, in the universe. I guess from a young age, that like, hammered into my mind, like man, I really got, like, I want to do science. And then flirted around with like you know maybe I should do engineering maybe I should do something else et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, But I guess that to set the stage, that's like what made me interested in science from a young age. My parents take me to the library, give me all these books. Um, you know, like their attitude was like you know if it comes to your education, we don't care how much it is, we'll pay for it. I'm very thankful for that because so, um, I, w- I wouldn't be here without that.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And I, and I think we can all or we three can attest to the whole like oh parents you know telling us get educated and you know what, go in science, whether that be because the money or, or just, just because. So I, I think that's a good segue for, um, Sarah Joy, who, who actually has a couple questions for you.
1: Yeah. I was actually going to say, that's the first question I wrote down was like, you know, being Coptic, they're always like, okay, doctor, dentist, lawyer, pharmacist, like mechanic, that's it. Like those are your options. Yeah. It. Literally. And it's funny too, because so my dad was a dentist. And when I like told him I got into Occidental, he was like, oh my God, dental school. Like he was so excited. And I was like, no, not dental school. But so I was going to ask you in terms of um, pursuing physics as someone who is Coptic or kind of had that idea of I have to be, you know, one of the four, one of the five top careers. How did you kind of pursue physics? And how has that like, been for you as a Coptic person, being kind of a, obviously like a minority within the field? And also, the perspective of the Coptic community kind of like on your endeavors
2: that's a good question you know and I feel like sometimes I'm still figuring out I'm far from the first person or anything I don't think they're really out there like you google like Coptic people in physics you're probably not really gonna get like any like relevant hits or whatever but you know so for a long time I wondered like, okay how many people are like, Coptic and in, in this subfield or that field or whatever um I never really had any answers to those questions until I like, joined Twitter um and I gotta give Twitter credit for credit where credit's due because you know I like learned at least that there's definitely like a ton of Egyptian people or a ton of Coptic people in physics and science. Um that's been like, really wonderful to to see. Um uh, I've had people reach out to me or like people be like, Oh my god, do I do know this other Coptic guy in physics? Like here's his number you should talk to him, things like that, which is which is really nice. Um, so how the community feels about it, that's a question. I think with everything else, people think like, oh my god, you're such a smarty pants or whatever, which is not really true. I'm just an like ordinary, I'm a and ordinary human at the end of the day. Um, just trying to, trying to, trying my best to learn and make progress in the field. Um, with my parents, at least, like, it's hard to get a sense of what the community feels, because like, you know, I just feel like I haven't seen too many college people in the last like year and a half, honestly, for obvious reasons. At least with my parents, I get the sense that they're happy about it but they're not, like, so effusive to my face. But I think a lot of parents are like that, you know. They'll be like, "But yeah, that's great to you, but then like, behind your back, they'll always talk to you up like, oh my god, oh my Like, I'll hear my parents on the phone sometimes from the other room being like, oh my god, my son, George, he's studying physics, he went to Yale, he's getting his PhD now, that sort of thing. And it's, like, kind of makes you feel good to hear, to hear that sort of thing. So I'll say, like, people are proud and, and whatnot, and I think people recognize it's, like, a non-traditional path. Um, but I've enjoyed it because, I don't know, I like... Seeing other Coptic people in academia. And like, I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself here, but sometimes I get like Coptic people emailing or messaging me, maybe about like, grad school or whatever. And they're like, oh my God, you know, I didn't know there were other Coptic people getting a PhD in like this, like niche field. So it's great to, to see what you're doing. But
1: that, that at
2: least is heartening. It means that what I'm doing is, is, is good, right? I
1: was going to say too, as well, definitely, at least from the conversations we've had, only a few of them, but just seeing you on Twitter and like, seeing your presence. Definitely helped me because for for example, I'm half Egyptian, so sometimes I definitely feel invalid in my, I guess ethnicity. And having you kind of as that, not sp- spokesperson, but that um, person that embodies kind of like, yes, I'm Coptic, I'm also this, I also like you, are just very multifaceted. And also, you have a lot of different identities that you wholeheartedly kind of accept. That's something that I've personally just been like, very like, wow, like I, I can do it too type thing. So you know, it's like kind of like a, like a younger version, I guess, um, and also. For me, I guess just going into cognitive science, that was something that I kind of faced as well. Seeing that there, there were very few Egyptians and also going to a small university. that had no the only Coptic person until senior year. So mm-hmm. being online, having that Twitter um, space, you've kind of created that for me. The other day when I posted my grad photo, all of a sudden I had over like 60 like Egyptian people follow me. So that was definitely really cool to have that space. You mentioned that you joined... um. Scientists for Palestine. Can you talk a little bit about how you got involved um, and what your role is in joining that, and what type of space you take up, both as a scientist, as a um, Egyptian, and as a Coptic person? That's
2: a good question. I mean, so to be honest, I just got the email. We'll have like some orientation meeting soon, so I haven't done anything, and it all depends on what they want to do. Because
1: um, yeah, I mean, I don't really have like,
2: any idea what, what to expect. I, my idea when I join organizations is like I'm always happy to help. With, um, however I'm needed, right? Um, so, but I'm excited for that because I think activism work is um, it's cool. This I'll go off and say, I, I don't know. It's kind of annoying to me that um, law scientists don't really care too much about like, activism outside of like very liberal politics or whatever. To them, it's just like about going online and talking about how Trump said some stupid shit in some tweet or whatever. They're like, okay, that's, that's enough activism for today. That's not what I want to be. I really want to like, make some sort of difference in the Arab community at large among cops, Egyptians, Arabs, Palestinians. Like, if I could help like, some Arab community in some way, then I'll be happy, uh, you know, because I think it's very difficult. I don't know, I've always asked like, okay, I'm doing science, how do I give back to my community? I feel like had I studied something else, the answer to that would have been easier. Say I studied education. Had I studied education or something, then I think, oh my gosh, there's like so many educational disparities out there, right? You can fix those or you can study those that sort of thing but what do you do with physics right I still struggle with that all the time how do I make a difference in our community as a physicist right I don't know there's not much precedent out there right? but I, I'm excited for this because it feels like oh my gosh so we'll get to like make some sort of change but right? at the end of the day I'll just be some member I'll just be helping in some small capacity it's really when we all come together that we do something big I'm not sure if I answered your question <laughs> let me know if I didn't <laughs>
1: No, definitely. You definitely answered that. Yeah. And I was going to say, too, talking about like what you've done so far, obviously I already mentioned, like made a big impact on me and JP. You have talked to him about and just other people in general. I think you've brought awareness, number one, obviously what's happening in Palestine, but you're very active on discussing other things. And I think sometimes we forget, we kind of just tweet into the void and we don't realize like how many people we are actually able to reach. So although it's online, it creates like a sense of community, which is really important. Um, And I was going to say, too, I know, at least for me, just being pre-med, a lot of times in the Coptic community, it's very competitive, like an unhealthy way. Can you speak on finding a community, finding a space where you feel comfortable within academia as a person who is marginalized?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And i also talk to you to your point about competition, too, because I think it's a thing that doesn't really get discussed enough. I feel like at my time at Yale, I always felt like a sense of competition. I think it's sort of um, different than what people traditionally think of competition, which is like Oh, we're all trying to be the best this person's like actively out to like diminish me or hurt my efforts or something it's not really like that i you know, i guess being at an elite place like yale just everybody's so amazing in their own way that it's so hard not to feel insecure so you're always like, pushing yourself pushing yourself pushing yourself because you're amazed by everybody around you and you want people to be amazed by you in, in turn so you're always goading yourself on so that you can be the best in some way and your friends can look at you and love you and that sort of thing but it's one reason why I'm glad I graduated, because I loved it, but it's nice, at least, I guess, during this virtual year to not have to think about those insecurities, just very honestly. Um, oh, my God, and I already forgot your second point. Remind me, what was the other thing I was supposed to address?
1: Um, ah, JP, do you remember? <laughs> 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 Wait, okay, so it was competition. <laughs> it was a competition and the other thing. Oh, navigating.
0: Uh, um. Oh, um, yes. As I a can- marginalized
1: person like navigating academia. So I'd be that low income or a like brown person or just your different identities, how you found community and created that safe space for yourself.
0: And can I also add on how you also combated imposter syndrome as well? Because you just seem like you're on top of it, right? I feel like you found community. I know. <laughs> it just seems like any presenting you, present that you on. <laughs> and I just want to know, how do you get through it because i'm sure all three of us have felt it at some point right
2: absolutely to, okay so space and imposter uh, syndrome great questions um no seriously you guys are like getting to the meat of things um it doesn't have to be like a group of people who are exactly like you. I mean, how many other egyptians are there there are like, egyptians at yale but there's maybe five of us all together or something uh, no, i'll be more generous so there's probably like 10 of us in all four years or whatever. month obviously we're all studying different things so i'm a big believer you don't need people are just like you, to find space that's comfortable. As long as they're people who are like-minded and nice and everything, and you see with your eye-to-eye, that's important. I remember I had this P.S.A. group freshman year. What is that term? I had like, dove off the deep end of the pool. I didn't know how to swim. I was thinking taking like, this like, super advanced math course. I shouldn't have been there. Being a freshman, going to Yale, it's like, oh like hell yeah, I'm the best. I'm hot shit. I can totally do it. I'm smart. I can take the hardest math class. Like, there's no problem with that. Then you get like, Smack down to earth. But in case, this, I had this PCR group that was just like, really toxic and I was just like lailing for help and so I was always asking like my friends for help um, and um, I remember this one incident. It's not like a big deal in retrospect but it's, it's it's words that I still haven't forgotten but something with this one dude and I was asking him a question about like, you know, some, like linear algebra and it was like, a very simple question at the end of the day so he was kind of miffed at me. So he was just frustrated so he lumbled like oh my god like why are you even like at Yale? That sort of thing. Not a big deal at the end of the day. It's just like, kind of strong to say if you're really that frustrated. And so it stuck with me. But it was just like the attitudes in general of ashamed like, to ask for help or maybe like, ashamed to like, rely on friends. I hated that. It just sucked. Like, you have to help each other throughout college. You guys know like studying science, like having PSEC groups, going to office hours, that sort of thing is important. And if your peers like make you feel like crap um, while they work with you, then you're going know, to have a miserable time in all four years, honestly. So I guess what improved with that is just honestly like, making different friends. Um, they were just nice, patient. I became the president of the Society of Physics Students, and that was really nice because my fellow co-president, he was like a year younger than me, but he was like, super smart, and like, he was in all the classes I was in, so we'd meet every, every week to work on PSETs together, and that was like, really nice too. So I don't know if I answered your question like, in, in a really like, general way because i mean for me i just felt like people make you feel like crap when you work with them and work with them you know what i mean that that is important like, you really don't deserve that there's a bunch of other nice people in stem out there in science who are willing to work with you and have that symbiosis and that's nice in my graduate program now there's some people i feel like if we were to work together it'd be kind of annoying to, to be honest or like, kind of frustrating but you know, i have some friends i talk to like, every week when there's homework and we have like, such a great dialogue and they're always like figuring things out and it's like, super positive it never feels like It's a drain or anything. I could very easily reach out to those annoying people and get to the bottom of the homework, but I'd frustrate myself in the process. But I don't do that because I value my time and I just value my feelings. And then the other thing was imposter syndrome. How do you overcome that? Honestly, I'm still figuring that out. Uh, I think for me, I I felt imposter syndrome a lot. And it had to do with what I was talking about before. It's not like people are shitting on you or anything. It's more like, oh my goodness, everybody around me is so great and so excellent at what they do and they make it seem so effortless and i just wish things would come to me as effortlessly as, as it did for them right i guess i can talk about this more later but it's all about like i don't know if you guys have heard of um, what's it called swan syndrome or whatever swan syndrome okay mind if i go off about it yeah so go for it if you've ever gone to the pond you ever gone to the lake and you've seen swans you see how graceful and beautiful and gorgeous they are they're just like, swimming on the lake and they do it so effortlessly. They just glide over the water and it's just so serene, right? But that's what you see from the top. Below the water, what's actually happening is that the legs are causing a ton of turbulence. They're just like, kicking super rapidly to propel them forward. which stirring up silt, dust, dirt from the bottom of the pond. Um, and it's just a general very chaotic. That's what you don't see. That's what is underneath the surface of the water versus what you see from the surface of the water, right? They're just coasting along just beautifully. So it's a beautiful analogy for academia and I guess just all general human interaction. And the way I say it is that everybody puts on a facade, um, consciously or unconsciously, where people don't let on how difficult things are for them, out of shame, out of pride, or whatever. This is all natural. Like, we all do this. There's um, nothing bad about it. But people obscure what really goes on in their lives, um, and they put on a face towards the world and they misrepresent themselves in some way. So then you don't see what's going on behind the mask. So you have this tendency to compare everything that's happening to you, internal and external, to the mask that you see from other people. You see that someone seems to do the homework super easily and, oh my gosh, they're coasting along in class. They're doing super well. They're super successful in their academics and hobbies, all yada, yada, yada. And you're like, oh my God, I'm struggling with everything. Why can't they be like that? But people hide how much they're struggling. People hide how much they're facing because, again, Who wants to broadcast all the stuff that's going on internally to the world, right? Like, you can be honest to a certain degree, but nobody's putting everything out there to the world. So I think that fuels a lot of imposter syndrome, at least in my case. Maybe it's different from, I know for other people, it's obviously different because people are actively hostile against them and that feeds into imposter syndrome too. For me, it I don't know, how do you overcome that? It's tough. I think graduating and having the last year off or just to, you know, like, uh, and, you know, basically, like school went online last March and then I had until late September before my PhD started. So I had a lot of time to reflect and just think and whatnot. And you know, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, like uh, I'm kind of a badass. I don't need to compare myself to other people, there's no use in it. And like, the temptation comes now and then. And I still feel insecure comparing myself to other people. It comes now and then. I always try to humble myself, at least. Um, because no matter how successful I am, I I think that having a sense of humility is important, Um, but it doesn't have to come with a sense of shame or inferiority. Humility can be independent of that. Um, But I still struggle with those feelings sometimes, even though they are less frequent. Um, Because I think just honestly graduating, having independence, moving out, really helped me with those sort of things. Because it made me feel like more of an adult. made me feel like, oh yeah, I'm doing this PhD. I'm doing all these things. I have a life outside of academics. I guess I was also facilitated by the pandemic, right? Because everything was virtual. So I had a lot more free time to invest in my hobbies and stuff. And I think investing time outside of academia helps you divest your personal feelings from from your stuff. I have the entire day to myself. Like I can do whatever I want. I think that's helped during a normal year. You need to really make active efforts to do that because it's definitely harder to invest time in hobbies and and stuff outside of academics. In case I was so long winded, I'm I'm very sorry.
0: No, that was was good. Yeah, (laughs) I'm just in awe of of your insight. And and I feel like we've talked about really, really relevant topics, imposter syndrome, um, representation, mattering, things like that, how how to navigate academia. Um, But I did also want to ask, what are your thoughts on how institutions can help us? Let's say you are the president of Yale. Um, the president of, of U Chicago, you got all the endowment money. You're like, here you go. take. <laughs> Here's yeah. some help. What do you think would be effective in, in helping students who do feel like this?
2: That's such a good question. Oh, man. The amount of power I'd have is again, paralyzing. So uh, let me think.
0: Yeah, it's a heavy one. Honestly, this is the million dollar question. If you, if you can, <laughs> if you can answer this and present it to Chicago and Yale, I think you're uh, you're going to be the next president
2: <laughs> that's a really good question okay so i think a lot of imposter syndrome comes from the fact that sometimes people feel like the way things are taught doesn't work for them right like like people don't feel imposter syndrome when things are going right in their life right or when things feel easy for them right it's when suddenly things kind of hit a ditch when things get difficult that's when those feelings start and so alleviating anything that makes things unnecessarily difficult for students because at the end of the day academics are tough but I think removing unnecessary difficulties is important. Um, I'm trying to work towards a teaching certificate here at Chicago, taking a couple of classes and whatnot um, on pedagogy and such an extensive field. There's still so much more to do for the certificate so I'm not an expert but I think one of the most interesting facts I learned from the class is that the idea of teaching is fundamental to humans, right? We've been teaching people for thousands of years. As long as humans have been around, we've been teaching. But the idea of studying how people learn, how people learn effectively, what's the best way to teach, that sort of thing, is only only thing that's happened in the last couple of decades. And the way we're teaching classes now is like, I don't know. I think a lot of classes just aren't informed by advances in pedagogy, or if they are, the field's still really young and there's like advances happening every year so there's like a ways to go but i, don't know, I think like improving the way that like classes are taught exams are structured that sort of thing could really really help students because nobody's feeling imposter syndrome because they got a good exam score no people are feeling imposter syndrome because they bombed the final and they're like oh my god do i belong here do i belong to school that sort of thing i saw that my, myself and i remember talking to some friends in physics at my school and they, they asked me that Like, oh my gosh, it's my first quarter or first semester, sorry. And I bombed my final. Like, oh, I didn't get the 4.0 that I wanted. Is it worth it to stay That sort of thing. And again, STEM is hard, but I think removing unnecessary difficulties is important. So I think structuring classes so that exams have less weight and using alternative forms of assessment. Again, I'm kind of forgetting everything that happened in this teaching certificate. And it was like last fall. But there's so many alternate ways of assessing students that I think are less stressful than exams. I think it's very worthwhile to look into those because I think those could help students think better. Um,
0: Encourage collaboration among students. Man, that's tough. I I don't know how- Well, what about like compassion and empathy too, being a professor? Because I feel like that's something that is, is lacking, right? Like the humanity and not just science, sure, but humanity just in pedagogy. Where yeah. is that, right?
2: Absolutely, no, absolutely. I think, I think maybe this is like a little crazy to say, but you know, I feel like, I feel like universities don't really care. Like if um, a faculty is like an awful teacher, as long as they're doing good research. Like, I mean, I guess this, this is mostly for research universities, right? Like it's definitely different. At like, you know smaller schools that are more teaching focused, but a faculty just sucks at teaching, but is good at research. The school doesn't care. Like they can get bad teaching reviews every single semester. It doesn't matter. I think ensuring a like, quality faculty that like, can do both parts of the job like, well is important. Like, you can't just hire researchers and then expect-, expect them to teach. I think, or at the very least, if you're going to do that, put them through the gauntlet of like, how to teach, give them some extensive program like, okay, this is how you teach, and listen to student feedback. And if a professor is like, being problematic, if they're like, just not responding to students, sort um, of like an asshole, that sort of thing, give them a recommendation. Like, yeah, they're an adult, but if you're being an ask to students, you deserve it. Um, and there's definitely so much more that can be done. I feel like these are two small things. I'm not thinking of any at the moment, unfortunately. But I think <laughs> at least improving the way things are taught would go a, a long way to making students feel more welcome than everything.
1: Yeah, I was going to say the point that you made too about um, the way that students learn and, and kind of making it so that they don't feel like, oh, this is just not my technique of learning. I think a lot of times, at least, within cognitive science, I've noticed even the studies that we study for psychology and cognitive science are often done on students that are um, coming from backgrounds of private high schools or private tutors and things like that. And so it looks just on paper as if the the students that are taking the classes um, are succeeding because the professor is doing well and they don't acknowledge the background um, experience of those students because a majority of students in college are predominantly white and wealthy. It also is important to look at How do different students that come from different backgrounds learn? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, one hundred percent. Reminds me of like
2: what people say about how so many psychology studies are just done by eighteen-year-olds looking for beer money. (laughs) You know what I mean? How like (laughs) solicit the psychology like survey recipients or whatever. Yeah, no, that's true. I agree with you on that in that regard.
0: Yeah, definitely. So. Is it okay if we move into fun questions Sarah Joy, do you have any, any last minute questions you want to ask or can we move into the, uh, end <laughs> of the fun stuff?
1: I think we're good. I think we can go into the fun yeah, stuff.
0: Yeah, Into the house. Well, do you have anything else you want to say, um, um, to add on or? I don't know. Is there anything you want me to say? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, we're just trying to get your perspective on everything because we believe that different perspectives matter, right? Oh. So yeah. yeah. I mean, if there's nothing well, was- that comes to mind. Oh, go
1: ahead. Well, I think the last thing I was going to ask too, is just as a person, cause I know you mentioned before being first gen, being low income. How did you, I guess, like from the start, how did you figure out that process of applying to undergrad, applying to graduate school? And I know you mentioned that your dad said like college, you have to go to college, but um, what was your route? And maybe some of the things that you found personally difficult and how you kind of just got through those barriers.
2: Good question. Yeah. So, I mean, parents always told me to apply, but when it comes to the college system in America, the parents didn't have any idea. And this is one thing I really want to address um, in some way in the future. Just the fact that the college system in America is just so different than abroad that it's hard to wrap your head around it. Because I think a lot of people come, I think a lot of immigrants come from countries where the idea is, okay, you take this entrance exam. If you do well, great. If you don't, okay, your your life is kind of screwed, but honest to God. (laughs) It, it, you know this is how it is like if you do well on the entrance exam you can go to med school you can go to engineering school whatever but if you don't okay you can't study those subjects um so parents come here and they're like okay they think the sat is this kind of like the same deal and they're like, you gotta do super well in the sat but as you guys know like, for colleges nowadays like so many of them don't accept it or if they do it's just not a big a big thing in admissions and the gre's headed that way too <laughs> exactly so like, those admissions tests are going the way of the dodo honestly um Yeah, I was just very lucky in high school because, I don't know, I had this one good friend in high school who like sort of took me under his wing and explained how to apply to college, how to how to do everything, you know, the idea that you got to write a good essay, it has to be about your life story, it has to be honest, vulnerable, et cetera, et cetera. you know, that sort of thing. And even with his help, it was still so difficult because 18 years old, what do you have in the way of life experience? What do you write about? Um, But yeah, he recommended I also apply to QuestBridge, which is this um, scholarship program for first-gen low-income students. So I did that and that's how I got it and so on. I'm really really grateful for him because just like I say this a lot but genuinely without his help I wouldn't be here um so I think that's why like getting that information out to students is, is important because right? I see a lot of people in the community they don't really know how college works and like they don't really know how to apply to, apply to financial aid or how to maximize their chances how to maximize financial aid that sort of thing it's kind of upsetting to see because it's just so like everything in America, not just college, but it's it's just so opaque, okay. and if you don't have that insider knowledge, it's just really hard to to navigate it.
0: But yeah,
2: I don't know where it'd
0: be. I'm lucky. Yeah, definitely, and, and I think it just stems back to being a community member. Your your point about. Um, Hiring professors that can teach as well, that's part of taking care of the community because they're giving back. They're using their knowledge, their skills to give back to the community so that they can also contribute to science, to the health of people all over the world. Um, And that's why I'm so passionate about helping people with um, admissions as well. Like your your comprehensive STEM PhD admissions guide, that was unreal. I saw that and I was like, yep, yep, yep. That's right. That's right. That's right. Like it's it's wild. and, And I don't understand why there aren't more like that. So that, that's a big reason why I did want you on, on this podcast, because I think you do a great job of giving back, right? So, <laughs> yeah. I'm blushing.
2: Thank you. <laughs> Thank you <a> <laughs> I mean, I guess you can see from my story and what I say, um, I, I mean, I, I don't know, there's more to say, I guess, but it was like the same deal from grad school. I have a lot of great mentors that helped me. So that's why I'm passionate, because you can get any random person to read your essays, but if you have someone who has that insider knowledge helping you and telling you what to do, that like, helps so much more and it, like, gives you confidence in what you're doing. My motto has always been, no matter how big I get, my goal, my vision for myself is like, if I'm a professor and like, some some high school emails me for advice, I want to respond to them, you know? That's not an issue. I want to take time out of my day and help them. I recognize that like, giving every single person your time is like, a difficult thing, but imagine how much better science and, and STEM would be if like, people kind of abided by that or... Um, to keep with that philosophy i just imagine it will be like, so much more egalitarian and, and welcoming because anybody in the field can like rely on them right and i don't know it, it's just a thing i want to do and hopefully like more people do it i guess
0: <laughs> well the future of stem is in your hands hope you know it well it's in your hands too, <laughs> don't forget that <laughs> but it's in good but it's in good hands i'll, I'll say that so you asked want to I want to move on? You want to kick us off with the? Uh, you got any more follow-ups or?
1: Well, I was gonna say first of all, you should plug your Twitter so that everyone can follow you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I post so much, I post too much on that. But uh, <laughs> I, yeah,
1: you
2: can follow me um, at gwisk20. That's gwisk20.
1: Chef's so. <laughs> <Just> kiss. Okay, <laughs> and then so my second question is: This is like we're going to the fun questions, I guess. Um, what is your favorite? Uh, Egyptian food, oh. besides bamiya, because obviously you love bamiya. So <laughs>
2: ah, that's a good question. Um, I have to say, I guess, feel say Like a meal, I really like molochia we'll uh, chicken and rice. It's very simple, but when people talk about comfort food, nothing really comes to mind except that. Um, just because my mom always made it for me, I remember eating it when I was sick. It's just like, very filling because there's. and chicken and rice is great. Tell me a single culture without chicken and rice um but yeah you know like party soup that was so filling and warm and like you know just like having that watching tv and just chilling in bed after sounds like perfect day to me
1: that's so yeah I love love that food (laughs) that's awesome I was gonna say my so my dad's mom used to always eat it without the garlic and Mm -hmm. so my dad would specifically make me a bowl without the garlic because I I told him I really liked it because I wanted to be his mom so I'd always eat without garlic first and then I would have the one with garlic afterwards but yeah um I was gonna say, mine would probably be full, personally, just because you can eat it. Like, I don't know. But I just remember the soggy full sandwiches with like egg at school, you know, just sitting in, in my backpack all day. Like, that's just comfort to me, even though it's kind of soggy sometimes. But yeah.
2: No, I had the same deal when I went to school, but like, oh God, they just, I would always look over the kids buying school lunch and I was like, man, just... I want, like, it, I know it's also crap, but I, I want that.
1: <laughs> no, me too. <laughs> me too.
2: Definitely. I wa- right. No, you know what? I wanted to be one of those Lunchable kids. If you have Lunchables in middle school, God couldn't say anything new. <laughs>
1: literally, right. no, literally. That's. I used to get I'm- the kids to like, come and smell my my food, and they'd be like, "What is that?" And I was like, oh, "I don't even know." Like, I don't even know the English word for it. Like, <laughs> so, well, yeah. you know, I can't believe they feed that stuff to kids. I look at it, I'm
2: like, "There's no way this two dollar meal is." Like- Dude, they put monkey in that. <laughs> no. <way.
1: laughs> Oh, that's so yeah.
0: good! All right, yeah. All right. So, so next question: um, We're all together in person. We're in a car. We're about to go on a road trip. What song are you putting on first? What What we vibe into?
2: Actually, uh, question. I got to put on some Rena, Rina Sawayama. I would probably. Okay. I'd okay. probably put, I don't know. i pro- Okay, my favorite song. No, to get us hype, I would play Access. Yeah, that's a- Anything from the album will be good, okay?
0: Sarah Joy's like mm.
1: no, literally <laughs> no, no. Honestly, anything. I'm very, very open to music. I think JP kind of got me into country. I wasn't into country until all, now, right, all JP, right, But <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I listen to a lot of Arabic music too because I'm trying to always get my accent better because you know I'm half, so I gotta, I gotta work on that. But <laughs> but yeah. yeah, and then yeah, I was gonna say I think you. I don't know who there was one artist at one time you posted a song. And I was like, okay, we're friends. So, like we could be friends, <laughs> like yeah. George listens to this, person, we could be friends. <laughs> was it, was it but, yeah, or who? I think it was, I don't know if it's like blood orange. Is that who it is? The artist. What's your name? No, wait, that's probably the name of the song. I don't know, but you, you posted this artist that I listened to as well. And I was like, Looks like we got to find it now. I,
0: have I
1: will to. have to find <laughs> it. I will go through my Spotify. <laughs> um, yeah.
2: No, we got to find it. Well, we'll it later later.
0: <laughs> yeah. While you're looking for that S.J. Um, let's say you take off your uh, let's, let's take off your physics math hat, your PhD student hat. What are your favorite things to do outside of science? To unwind and then just relax.
2: Super question. Um, I like gaming a lot, though I kind of have to be conscious of it because um, I think if I, I don't know, I think my mental state depends a lot. on It's kind of a bad thing, but like how productive I am, <laughs> you know. So if I, I like games, but like if I spend the entire day playing games, um, I'll feel like garbage. You know, like even if even if I enjoyed every hour of it, I'll be like, man, I wasted today. Ah!
1: You
2: know, so. <laughs> I like that but uh, you know in moderation like um what do you play so okay good question I mainly I have almost a thousand hours in at this point it's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> embarrassing <laughs> is this game called the like, the binding of Isaac I don't know if you've heard of it
0: never heard of it I'm not I'm not a big gamer but I, I know League of Legends I played a little bit you know Apex okay. stuff like that so what—what what is it called the binding of Isaac okay I'm gonna check it out after this oh no, it's so fun
2: i'm not even done with the game i have a thousand hours and i'm not done <laughs> it's replayable um yeah, i also like you know i guess reading all my work is virtual this summer and i don't have class so i've finally gotten back to, into reading and that's pretty nice you no know, it's easy to get distracted but i'm not just sitting and reading a book it's just especially like nowadays like oh I yeah. go to the park and just chill read a book that's been nice and also photography it's hard to do it sometimes just because i need an idea in my mind and like even if you have the idea, executing it can be pretty difficult. I don't really have a studio or, or anything. Um, but I really like photography and, you know, if you follow me on Instagram. I
1: like, I like um, shooting my friends sometimes when I feel like I need kind of inspiration. That's like one of my favorite things, and getting them like, candid, like when they're smiling or something, when they're like in between poses, is like one of my favorite things for photography. I think it's the Avalanches, though. That's who it was, the artist. Yeah, the
2: Avalanches. Oh yes. yeah. Yes. We will always love you. Yes. That's yes.
1: <laughs> I was like, oh, we're homies. That's crazy.
2: <laughs> that's a great song. It was like, um, I remember listening to it last February, and I'm like, man, it's gonna be like a good year. Like, that didn't happen, of course. So <laughs> I was like, yes, new Avalanches. You know, because it was like
0: the first single they dropped. Hmm. But- Cool. So I think we have time for one more question, uh, Sarah Joy. Do you have it?
1: Well, my question was, um, how do you take care of your curls? Because they're <laughs> literally beautiful. So, <laughs> um,
2: I'll be honest. I I just use um what do I do? So I use Vo Five conditioner. Um, it's literally from the dollar store, um, and I don't shampoo. Like I'm part of the you know the whole no poo thing or whatever. <laughs> yeah i don't do that i just use (laughs)
1: 305
2: yeah put it all the way through leave it for as long as i can and wash it out um and i use it's called blueberry bliss uh leave-in conditioner you know just like spread some through my hair and that that, that's honestly it like i'll very occasionally deep condition but um not super often but one other thing i did is you know because i bleached of course and you know that causes damage i use this thing called olaplex it's pretty expensive it's like 30 dollars for a bottle like this but you spread it through your hair you leave it for like half an hour or something and it repairs all the damage magically and it's like like I do it after I bleach and it's almost like I never bleached it in terms of damage so it's really it's really good I really recommend it you know especially if you have longer hair than you know like the longer it is like the you know the
1: yeah it has been damaged right so
2: I, <laughs> I recommend that
1: so I was gonna say I'm always in the pool I definitely I definitely need to get <laughs> some of that because my yeah. hair is like fried so,
2: so no, Olaplex try it and let me know I think it'll change your life okay
0: Ooh, I'll have to look it up. Um, thank you so much. That was so fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: that's great. You guys asked me such great questions. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah. Your your insight was just incredible. Um yeah.